What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica, and on this week's show, I'm joined by Lindsay and Shireen. On this week's show, we're going to talk once again about transphobia in sports, especially women's sports. They are using women and girls sports, something that uh, all of us care about incredibly, something that drives our work on a day-in, day-out basis to wield violence against the trans community, and they have the power to do so. Then we'll burn all the things that deserve to be burned, highlight the torchbearers who are giving us hope during this dark time, let you know what's good in our worlds, and tell you what we're watching this week. But first, before we get into all of that, I have intense wanderlust. I've started doing this thing where I'm like following all the Instagram accounts of like beautiful hotels and like the magazines that cover travel, just so I can literally look at other places in the world. I cannot stop thinking about like what I'm going, where I'm going to go whenever I get the chance to literally leave my house. Uh, my latest thing last night, we watched a movie on Netflix called Finding Oana, which is this very fun Goonies-inspired um, film, but it takes place in Hawaii, and it stars a bunch of Hawaiians, and it just made me want to go to Hawaii. Like, I just feel it in my bones. I'm still set on Italy, even though I have stopped doing my Italian lessons, because who has the bandwidth for that? And we recently watched the Hobbit trilogy, and the whole time all I was thinking about was New Zealand and I just got to get somewhere I'm just feeling like and all I want to do is be somewhere else at this point in time what about y'all Shereen are you having this problem I did I haven't been on a plane for a year yeah same as classist as that sounds like I just didn't realize how much I actually traveled for work um I at this point I'm so desperately missing my friends and like 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 socially and I get to see them outside go tobogganing and all that kind of stuff and but a friend of mine, Ahmed, tweeted this morning, pandemic makes us feel like that kid whose friends all moved away. And that really upset me this morning. <laughs> and I'm like, why did you say that? Because it's true. I actually, Jess, I don't even have wanderlust. I just want to sit in a restaurant with friends. Oh, I have that too. I mean, for sure. But in terms of traveling, like this is going to sound in- incredibly un- like glamorous. I want to go to Montreal. I miss my Montreal family very, very much. Like I've got my friends. Like shout out to Saf, to Mal. To, you know, Aaron Lockoff, to all these people, David Rudin, I love you, Tito Curtis, we're going to go. I love these people, and I love my Montreal family. Like, Ali Cheyenne, I'm coming for Iranian food. I want to go and see them and hang out with them and sit there. And I also really, really, truly love Montreal. I hate Montreal's Quebec beautiful. politics. I hate Quebec politics. Last time, like, but I love that city. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Was that all one sentence? <laughs> Yeah, that was one sentence. That was very well done. Lindsay. I'm sorry. Are you struggling with this too? Yeah, I mean, I like want to go to the most crowded place I can and just like hug strangers. Like Wow. From a Lindsay Gibbs wants to go hug strangers. Like take me to Mardi Gras. We have come so far. And that is so unlike me. 
usually for vacations, I want like a relaxed, you know what I mean? Like get away from me, just chill. Right now, I'm like, I feel like I'm back in my 20s, like, like my early 20s. Like I want to stay out like at the bars till like 3 a.m. with strangers <laughs> and just like going wild. <laughs> like, <laughs> so wherever that can happen is where I want to go. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Lindsay Gibbs wants to cuddle with me. <laughs> I do actually want to be in a bar at 3 a.m. with Shireen. That would be. (laughs) The feeling of that, like, of just like the stress and restriction and pushing against that and really, you know, being in your own body and encapsulating that power and like pushing against, you know, something that really wants to get you down. It's it's much like you know, being a trans person and in our society and for trans people, it takes on that. It even takes on more meaning because you're intentionally being in your body and physically doing an activity that requires strength, requires power and requires this ownership of the activity that you're doing. Um, I mean, after doing it, even that one time, you know, I was hooked and, just needed to do it more. I made my transition later in life at age 42. And if you are familiar with the process of of gender transition, it's not easy. You know, I had lost a lot. Uh, The most difficult part was losing my marriage and a lot of circles Mm -hmm. of friends, a lot of in-laws that I was close to. So I'd been through this radical upheaval in my life. Going into my uh, second year of transition, or I was about 18 months in, I'm like, I now want to rebuild my social structure. Where do I belong? Where do I fit? And I'm like, well, I'm athletic, and I've always wanted to participate in a team sport. So I show up to the open practice, and it was awesome. And a lot of the players were off to the side cheering me on as I was doing catching drills. I always wanted to be a wide receiver and I was having an enormous amount of fun and people were so welcoming. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, this is it. This is where I want to be. That is JC Cooper, whom I recently interviewed for this show, and Christina Genther from episode 89, each talking about what sport means to them as trans women. Cooper, a powerlifter, Genther, who played tackle football. This week, we're going to discuss once again, the intense transphobia against girls and women in sport. So I wanted to start with a reminder that these are real people who are affected by this transphobia and that sport is great and everyone should have access to it. This is especially relevant now because there are at least 23 states in the U.S. with bills before the state legislature trying to discriminate against trans athletes, most of it directed at children and mainly at trans girls. One of the most extreme bills was filed in Minnesota this last week. HF 1657 would ban transgender girls from participating in girls' sports and would allow authorities to charge trans girls 13 years and older with a misdemeanor if they play sports with other girls. Trans girls could also be charged if found in a girl's bathroom or locker room. We're talking criminal penalties on children for trying to play sports. There's also federal legislation, the Equality Act, which has passed the House, is a bill that would ban discrimination against people based on sexual orientation and gender identity. One of the lines of argument against the Equality Act is that banning LGBTQ discrimination, namely the T part of that, would somehow harm cis girls who play sports, as if the discrimination trans kids face already, including exclusion from sports, isn't already hurting them. There is, to put it mildly, a sickening amount of legislation aimed at trans people in the U.S. right now, with girls' and women's sports at the heart of so much of it. 
One thing I want to be very clear about is that a lot of these bills are violent. For example, in Georgia, a bill would mandate that a panel of three physicians examine the, quote, reproductive organs and genetic makeup of girls to make sure no trans girls get access to sport. The violation of bodies and privacy alone is so disturbing. But we also know that this kind of scrutiny harms girls of color, especially black girls, more than their white counterparts. Determining in our society who is or who is not feminine is often a racist project. And so much of this work to discriminate, even criminally penalize trans girls and women in sport, is done supposedly in the name of protecting cis girls and women, which is bullshit. A classic example of how cis women, especially white cis women, are willing to harm trans girls and women to quote-unquote protect women's sport is the new Women's Sports Policy Working Group, which is spearheaded by former Olympian Nancy Hogshead Maycar. Lindsay, I know you burned this group's horrible initial phone presser three weeks ago in episode 192, but will you quickly recap why their attempt at a middle ground is actually an extreme position? Yeah, thanks, Jess. So this group, um, the Women's uh, Sports Policy Working Group, has been um, meeting behind the scenes for two years now, trying to claim that there is a middle ground, like you said, like that they're that they're not transphobic, but they really want to protect the sex separation in sports, and that if they don't protect sex separation sports then it's essentially as if you know men and women are just competing against each other there are no more categories it's just a free-for-all which is just (laughs) not at all what anyone is advocating for and we have zero zero proof that that is what is coming um but uh there's in advocating for this middle ground it becomes very clear that there is not a middle way Um, in the way they say that there is. Um, Their policy doesn't call for arrest, um, but it sets the groundwork for that thinking. Um, It says that uh, the crux of the policy is that before the onset of male puberty, trans girls and women can compete in girls and women's sports without condition. But trans girls and women who have experienced all or even part of male puberty must sufficiently mitigate their male sex-linked advantages through surgery and or gender-affirming hormones consistent with the rules of their sports international federations in order to participate in any competitive girls and women's sports. Um, So there's two things here. First of all, the onset of male puberty is not a definitive date. (laughs) It's not a uh, definitive process. And figuring out when specifically that date starts. This working group claims it's just kind of a general exam that you would need before starting any sport. But I don't remember my doctors just like discerning exactly when my puberty was starting in normal exams. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't remember that exact test being done on me when I was young and playing sports, right? I was never given a day of, oh, your puberty has started today. Um, and so it's, I mean, to figure that out, these tests would be extremely invasive. You can also see them being weaponized, not only against trans girls and women who of course are the ones most harmed by this policy, but also let's say against cisgender, uh, girls and women, particularly, um, you know, black and brown girls who are perceived, we already know are perceived as older, are perceived as being, you know, threatening in spaces. Um, And so, you know, you can see them being pinpointed to have to prove that they're a girl, um, you know, 
much more often than white girls. Um, so it's just the way this is going to be wielded is violent. I just don't see any other way around it that it is going to be violent. Um, I just, the reason that this group scares me so, so much is that I've seen up close what Nancy Hogshead McCarr can do when she is wielding her power. Um, She helped write sex abuse legislation to protect Olympians and get it passed through Congress. And after Nassar, you know, I was in D.C., I was at all these hearings and saw her power in action. And she has, like, they have come out, they have policy proposals ready to go. And using the weight of the Martina Navratilovas, um, you know, these are former... Um, presidents of the um, Women's Sports Foundation. Thankfully, the current administration of the Women's Sports Foundation is against this, um, against what they're doing and for trans inclusion in youth sports. But um, I'm scared of this because we're already seeing her testifying in South Carolina, testifying in local legislatures. And she wants to make this very clear point that her policy is the middle ground, but it's only being used and wielded on one side of the aisle. And that is the side that promotes exclusion. And so what I don't want to lose here is the fact that oftentimes we don't want to give, you know, space to these these horrible um, and violent policies. And we don't want to give them more attention than maybe they deserve. But in this case, they are using women and girls sports, something that uh, all of us care about incredibly, something that drives our work on a day in, day out basis to wield violence against the trans community and they have the power to do so and that it ter- I, i'll be honest i'm just terrified yeah and i think it's particularly terrifying because the views being put forward by an organization like women's sports policy working group what a fucking mouthful these are targeting children and i just want to like keep emphasizing that we are talking about children and so we've got to keep our focus there and so here's katie barnes from episode 95 and ashlyn johnson from a hot take in march of 2020 talking about trans youth and sport you know there's a an element of policing that occurs with elite athletes that it's just a separate conversation hmm. um especially when we talk about like monetary stakes we talk about like what's on the table yeah. it's just completely different than whether or not a five-year-old who is thinking about gender differently can play against other five-year-olds or if we need to sex segregate at that age that's very different than a high schooler who is beginning a social and perhaps a medical transition wanting to run on her track team a lot of times people will use comments like the ones that Martina made and the authority that comes with them as both an, a former elite athlete and also a member of the LGBTQ community to sort of reinforce their own cult, like their own biases that they have about the topic to begin with mm-hmm. and then project that onto kids. The thing about youth sports is we know that it is about building character, uh, it is about building confidence and having people be a part of community. That's why we have Title IX, that's why we have equal access to sports for youth, because we know that these are the benefits of sports uh, that are lifelong benefits. Um, So when it comes to trans youth, trans youth already face a lot of discrimination, um, already face a lot of isolation and victimization. Um, So we know that when it comes to mental health well-being, that trans youth are already at a higher risk for negative mental health outcomes. Um, What we also know about sports is that when 
youth participate in sports, they have higher levels of self-confidence. They have higher grades. They have a higher sense of community. Um, we know this particularly, too, about LGBTQ youth who play sports. They tend to have a higher sense of well-being. Um, so we want to make sure that all youth have access to sports, especially trans youth, considering a lot of the social stigma and discrimination they're facing. Like having access to these sports communities could be like life-changing. Hmm. I love that bit from Ashlyn. It's so beautiful. Linz, there was, I think it was a recent report from the Center for American Progress. Is that right? About It was a study on the importance of trans participation in sports. What did we learn from that? Yeah, I think we learned some very important things um, that, you know, go on what Ashlyn was saying there. Um, you know, a few of the statistics from this study, um, which did a good job both compiling other studies and doing some research of its own, um, LGBTQ athletes, uh, in particular transgender and non-binary athletes, have higher grades and 20% lower rates of depressive symptoms than um, LGBTQ non-athletes. So that points to the importance of sports in um, their life. But you've also had uh, the fact that exposure to gender discriminatory school policies and practices, such as these trans bans and sports, was cited as the underlying reason why more than one third of LGBTQ youth did not expect or plan to graduate high school. I want to repeat that again in, in other studies that affirm that. So and according to uh, the Gay and Lesbian um, Student Network's 2019 National School Climate Survey, transgender non-binary students in schools with transgender inclusive policies were less likely to skip school due to safety concerns, felt greater belonging in their school and community, and were less likely to hear anti-LGBTQ remarks or experience victimization based on their gender identity. That's not even just athletes. That's all trans and non-binary. So whether you want to participate in sports or not, because not all trans people want to be athletes. <laughs> like that's just that's another thing. Like that none of this seems to uh, to get at. But the very the signals that that send. And uh, CAPS analysis found that transgender students in states with fully inclusive policies that allow participation without restrictions in new sports were significantly less likely than students in states with no guidance uh, to have considered suicide in the past year. And those in fully inclusive states were the least likely to have done so. So these policies, I, I like to say that this is twofold, right? Not only is access to sports very important because we want the benefits of sports to be available to trans and non-binary youth, right? But not only are you taking away the benefits from those who want to participate, right? You are damaging the mental health and the very likelihood of graduating high school of staying in school for all trans and non-binary children. Um, this study went on to find that, you know, when transgender youth are allowed to play, the only result is that more women and girls, not fewer, are playing sports. Um, and I know I've gone on for a long time, but I just want to say that, like, if our cost-benefit analysis is um, every now and then, a cisgender athlete might come into second place to a transgender athlete in competition. But on the other side, <laughs> uh, trans athletes who compete and who don't compete 
uh, will be, if they're banned from sports, be less likely to graduate high school and more likely to commit suicide. Um, That's the cost-benefit analysis that is just a no-brainer to me, right? Like, a cisgender athlete might have to come into second place, but, like, losing is part of life. Losing occasionally in sports is a part of life. Um, And I'm really sick of the fear-mongering over that doing real harm. Yeah, this idea that, like, real harm versus fairness in sport like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense on its face Shireen I often uh, point to this thread that a friend of the show Caitlin Burns has and she actually talks about this idea of while it will be unfair and what that actually looks like in practical terms and how often trans women win which is not like there's this idea being peddled that they come in and take over everything which is actually not the case which and it's a I'm sexist the- idea that, like, Absolutely. It just the sexism is the basis of that. And I think it's really good because it's a pretty long thread and we'll put it in the show notes. But just that idea and how we are being misguided intentionally, which I also think is extremely violent and un like unnecessary. Yeah. Fear mongering is just such a great way to think about it. And so this is a moment when organizations with a lot of power say the NCAA, which we talk about endlessly on this program as like wielding so much influence within our society, they could be helping. And instead are what lens are they are they doing nothing? Like what are we hearing from the NCAA in this particularly fraught moment for trans athletes? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're doing absolutely nothing, but I would say that they're being um, reserved okay. <laughs> for reserved. their okay. typical uh, statement. So the NCAA does have guidelines that allow transgender participation um, in NCAA sports with uh, some you know, restrictions, but it's supposed to be pro-transgender athletes competing in sports. Um, so when all of these anti-trans bills are popping up from Montana to Iowa to, you know, now we've got South Carolina. I mean, it's about 30 states right now. We need the NCAA to be coming out with very strong statements that any single place that considers these bills, that puts these bills into action, will have zero play in the, you know, zero NCAA championships, zero chance of hosting any of these big tournaments. Um, And will be, you know, will not be in compliance with their bylaws and therefore, you know, honestly should be up for punishment. Um, Instead, we're seeing very kind of vague uh, statements, a lot of guessing that the NCAA might pull uh, championships based on what they did in the past, like for the North Carolina bathroom bill. Um, And uh, you have people just kind of having to guess at where the NCAA stands really on all of this. And the NCAA is issuing kind of general statements, reiterating its own policies, but they're not scaring anyone right now. They're not wielding their power. And it's infuriating because this is how like things are going to change. It's going to be as infuriating as it sounds. Organizations like the NCAA taking away things that these congressmen and congresswomen really care about, right? And that's the only way that we're going to reverse the bigotry. And um, everyone just needs to continue to get in the NCAA's face and try and kind of get them into this fight on the side of transgender athletes. Yeah, I'm thinking about how we're about to host the Women's March Madness down down in San Antonio, and we have 
at least one of these bills in front of our state legislature right now here in Texas. Uh, Shereen, let's talk about Canada. So they have something going on on their collegiate level. Yeah. In late 2018, U-Sport, which is Canada's um, association, it's like the equivalent. It's the letter U. (laughs) I kept thinking Shereen was telling me about youth sports. U-Sports. Okay. It used to be known as the CIAU, which is, I think, more respectable because I was telling Jess, it sounds like like a theme park, U Sports. But anyway, it's not to be disrespectful of my own, you know, association. Anyway, they worked on this for two years with the Canadian Ethics and Sport Committee. Dr. Sherling Weaving was part of it. She's at St. FX University in Canada in the Atlantic Coast. And it was intentionally done. Now, uh, Dr. Weavings and I wrote about this for the Canadian University um, Press. And the thing is, is that Dr. Weaving wants to make sure the policy is dynamic enough so it doesn't penalize athletes that are transitioning, uh, th- that it doesn't go against the anti-doping regulations within. So it needs to be flexible enough that way. I mean, it's pretty comprehensive and inclusive and immediately, immediately was applicable to the 56 institutions that adhere to the association. So that means that there's no choice. You can't opt out of it. It's basically become, you know, policy in Canada. And the only problem, one of the only problems was that student athletes weren't consulted for this. So trans community athletes, you know, said that when getting like trying to apply to be in a varsity program, sometimes the politics taken off so that the season's over by the time something was decided because varsity seasons are not very long. So they're trying to, to apply that practically and what that looks like. But what I do like about the policy is that it's not super specific in terms of at what point you can join. For this policy, Dr. Weaving stated that it's if you're getting uh, testosterone treatments, that's not correlated to better like performance in sports. So I really appreciated that that was done. They don't like people are often misinformed scientifically and they think, oh, look at the science, there's more testosterone, ergo, there are this. Like that's not how this actually works. And we know this from having Katrina Carcasis on the show so many times. So I think that these are things to put into effect. So for this particular issue, Canada is not the worst is what the takeaway is. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to be so frank, but th- this was intentionally done with the benefit of the trans community in mind, my question again is like, why were there no trans athletes at the table? You know, because youth sport relies heavily on academics and, and, and researchers, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I just think if you're making policy about a community, they should be at the table. That's just me, though. Yeah, they should definitely be at the table for policy stuff. But at the same time, they don't need to be there in order for you, the CIS community, to be learning about trans athletes and thinking about what you will do and and how you will act and what all those sorts of things once you do have a trans athlete, because that will happen, right, Shereen? Well, I mean, I wanted to also make the point that any type of learning or educational training doesn't need to wait until you have a trans athlete on a team or at your campus uh, or they make a varsity team, et cetera. It should be part of an inclusive anti-oppression training full stop for sports educators, coaches, admin, support staff. And we shouldn't only try to combat transphobia when we meet or love someone who is trans. Like that's not how this works. We need to start being proactive in terms of our understanding and unlearning. And with that, strive to become inclusive because what happens is you've already created a a culture of inclusion and, you know, a sincere attempt to learn. So when somebody comes there, you're not staggering around trying to figure out what to do. You've already got somewhat of an understanding of how to be and how to, you know, how to make things 
seamless. This is an incredibly fraught process for, I mean, if we just think about what we're talking about, we're literally talking about the lives of people. I find this appalling on every conceivable level. So yeah, I think that it's not, it's not a lot to ask us to not be assholes. Really, it's not. Yeah. And as Lindsay said before, the more inclusive we are, the more inclusive we are, <laughs> the better everyone is in the end by being inclusive. I, it's just it feels so simple when we talk about it. And yet and yet here we are. And I did. I know we're focusing a lot on the U.S. today and rightly so, because what is happening here is terrifying, um, just absolutely terrifying. But I also want to make sure that we're clear that transphobic policies or laws in regards to sports are a worldwide problem. Shireen, you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, let's go international for a second. In uh, episode 170, Jessica did burn the World Rugby uh, Federation and their horrifically transphobic policies. But then, flip side to that, the England rugby team wore torchbearers in episode 178 when they announced that they would not be adopting the guidelines set up by the governing body, which I love this type of resistance within sport. I think it's really important. And um, I do want to offer a trigger warning as we talk about uh, gender testing. I think this is important. Um, And although Iran, and people don't know this, actually performs the most gender reassignment surgeries in the world, its position on sports is fairly draconian in terms of allowing athletes. So it requires mandatory gender testing, including genital testing. And these reports that we're going to have in the show notes from 2015, but not a lot, has changed. And what that was, was the mandatory testing is just to ensure that, you know, let's assign these these athletes. And this is the football team. At one point in 2015, it was actually reported that there was five Although they identified as women, they were scientifically deemed as men. And when you don't have policy or you don't make an intention to unlearn and like understand, this is where it gets into the problem. So then what ends up happening is other countries in tournaments they competed against would report them. And I also find this really problematic. It's like, it's very similar to what we see in the States. Mothers of these youth or these parents are telling their kids to tell on basically another child, which is, it's very petty and unnecessary and, and not to minimize or reduce what's happening, but it's, it's very much like that in some ways. Um, And there's something else that when we get into the idea of like transphobia, that is being weaponized. Like a gender identity is being used as a weapon against these athletes. And I wrote about this for Africa as a country. Um, Equatorial Guinean player Genoveva Anomna had to undergo gender testing, although she identifies as a woman. It was very much connected to her performance and how well she did, which is, as Jessica said, absolutely sexist in its underpinnings. It's just really, really gross. And Gigi Yavoriak, a former chief medical officer at FIFA, stated that what the gender testing for FIFA requires is a gynecologist or a urologist, an endocrinologist, a psychologist, and a sports specialist. And just reading that, was so upsetting and the athlete is examined in a manner quote to protect their dignity and privacy of the individual and also ensure a level playing field for all players end quote when you need a gynecologist and endocrinologist psychologist there i don't i don't understand where the dignity piece is like that just i'm sorry i just no i'm not sorry it was terrible and this is from the article as well Quote, demanding that Anomna drop her pants at the convenience of CAF officials isn't exactly protecting the dignity of a cherished player, although she 
pleaded for proper medical test at a hospital. Her request was denied, and this was carried out in the offices, and she was bullied into a horrific situation at the hands of the CAF officials, end quote. And I don't even know what to say about this. Like, this is horrible. It's like, and people could argue that, oh, well, that was 2015. We're coming along. But very truthfully, for those of you that know, these policies have not been tweaked. This is still, this is still very much in, in play. And I wanted to draw attention to this because people use words like controversy, uh, this controversy. This isn't controversy. This is an inherent abuse and violation of someone's body autonomy. Like, let's not muck around with our words here. Um, another example on the international level is England and policies against trans folks in the FA, the Football Association in the UK, are quite stark. And yes, they've, they've come a long way, meaning they're not horrific in nature. They've gone to like bad. So what the FA does, we'll also put this in the show notes, is the, the handbook for guidelines. And it literally states in a little chart box when you are considered to be female. And can you imagine the FA sitting around a table deciding this is just, it's infuriating. And, you know, I, I've had conversations with friends in the UK because I do work there and they're like, well, it's very different in North America. I'm like, no, no, no. I think the conversation level and the level of toxicity is global. I don't think it's specific to only Turtle Island. But the way that trans athletes are spoken for and spoken about is also, and your point is taken, Jess, that they shouldn't have to be there to encourage unlearning, but it's just the way in which, and I, I find this very familiar because I am from a community where people talk about us and create policies about us. And I'm speaking specifically about a racialized Muslim community, and I'm not comparing and saying what's happening to us is as egregious. I'm saying I understand what this is like. I can empathize with being part of a community that you're treated based on what people think you look like and ought to be. And I hate that. I hate all of it. Yeah. And so this is absolutely an international phenomenon, this kind of hatred. And we know from other LGBTQ hate that it often is traveling internationally. So we should be paying attention in lots of places. I do want to end on a positive note because they do exist. And I think it's important to hold on to that in moments like this. There are individual school districts throughout the country that are passing trans and gender nonconforming student policies that are inclusive and good. What is your local school district doing around this? Utah's bill against transgender girls in sport was defeated in committee. Montana's bill against medical care for trans youth was also defeated. And Biden's Department of Education is no longer supporting a lawsuit that Trump's DOE did support, a federal lawsuit in Connecticut that's seeking to ban transgender girls from participating in high school sports. So all of those things are good. We can move towards the good. I know it can be frustrating to listen to all this and feel powerless against the systemic transphobia. So I asked Chris Mosier, an All-American do athlete, a six-time member of Team USA, the first transgender athlete to represent the United States in international competition, the first transgender athlete to qualify for the Olympic trials in the gender they identify, and creator of transathlete.com to give us some pointers. Thank you, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. As a professional athlete, I know sports have been such a big part of my experience in my life, and every young person deserves to have the opportunity to learn all of the great things that you get out of sports. But as you mentioned, we have just a horrible legislative session right now that's criminalizing and targeting young transgender people, particularly in sports. So we've seen a range of bills from requiring people participate according to their birth certificate to redefining sex altogether to the most recent bill and the most horrendous bill, which just dropped in Minnesota, which would actually make 
it a misdemeanor for a trans kid to participate in school sports or use the locker rooms according to their gender identity. So we've seen now extreme, extreme bills and an extreme range of bills, which when you are imposing a jail time on a kid for playing sports, suddenly requiring that a young person has their genitals inspected seems a lot less invasive, which is extremely problematic. So there are a lot of ways that folks can get involved in fighting these anti-trans bills across the country. The first would be to go to my website, transathlete.com, to the Take Action page and see the map and see if there's an anti-trans bill in your state or in a state that you have friends or family in, some affiliation with. The next thing would be to contact those lawmakers, contact your lawmakers, and tell them that you oppose these bills. We've seen more outreach from constituents to lawmakers around these bills than many other bills in the past. And lawmakers have mentioned that in session, and it really does make an impact. So whether you call, whether you email, whether you use a form online to send a direct message, write to your lawmakers, reach out to your lawmakers, and tell them to oppose these bills. And if you have a personal story that you can add on, that's even better. Share graphics and information on social media to spread the word. Many people might not know that these attacks are happening and how critical they are in terms of the larger picture about equality and human rights. Follow your local organizations doing this work on the ground in each state. There are equality organizations, LGBTQ plus organizations that are fighting these fights. Follow them on social media and follow their newsletters to see what you can do to take action locally. And then finally, follow Chase Strangio and myself, The Chris Mosier, on both Instagram and Twitter for more updates and action items. And you can always go to transathlete.com slash take dash action for a list of action items and links that you can use to speak up and speak out about these bills. We need everyone to be involved here. We need to sound the alarms and we need to stand up for trans kids and non-binary kids and all girls and women in sport. So I hope that I can count on you to reach out. Thanks so much. everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. 
Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed for just the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash burn. That's betterhelp.com slash B-U-R-N. Hey, Flamethrowers, Shireen here. I'm so excited about my interview with Jocelyn and Monique Lamoureux, which drops on Thursday. Yes, the sensational U.S. hockey women who are literally responsible for crushing the hearts of Canadians in 2018, who are wonderful community activists, guardians of women's hockey in the game, and also recently announced their retirement. 
It's important that everyone is a part of the conversation. Gender equity is not just a women's problem. Um, it's And it's not just men who, oh, I have a daughter and now I want things to be equal, which is a lot of time um, where some of the conversations we have with men start. And although it's better than not having that conversation, it it it's just a part of the bigger problem that I think um, our culture has. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment that we like to call the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. Mine is pretty straightforward this week. The men's basketball team at East Tennessee State University took a knee during the national anthem at a recent game. And so, because there's nothing else to worry about right now, every Republican member of the Tennessee Senate has signed a letter addressed to the chancellor or president of public universities in Tennessee that begins, quote, in light of recent news reports, we want to address the issue of our student-athletes kneeling during the national anthem prior to sports competitions. It's exactly as you imagine it. They don't like it, and they want them to stop. That doesn't make it any less anger-inducing, though, no matter how much we expect it from them. The coach of ETSU's basketball team and the school's vice president of equity and inclusion, Keith Johnson, have very publicly supported the players. In a statement, Johnson wrote, quote, The young men on our basketball team are not entertainers. They are living, breathing human beings who, once they step off the court, have the potential to be the next George Floyd. Yes, that's just it. You have to think of these athletes as actual humans to even begin to consider why they are protesting, and it's that bit that seems to stump so many. They can almost be forgiven considering most of our sports entertainment industrial complex flattens athletes and strips them of their humanity that is not in some way tied to their performance on a field or a court. On the college level, our society severely limits what athletes can do or say in so many ways. But we are years into this now. We're years into this. And it's clear that many, especially conservatives in this country, refuse to do any work to see black athletes as people in the world. It's fucking exhausting, but we're going to keep pointing it out when it happens. On a final note, if you're wondering if the GOP in Tennessee is also going after trans athletes, you know they are. There is a bill before the Tennessee Senate that would bar all trans youth from sport consistent with their gender identity and require the use of a student's original birth certificate for classification in sport. Ugh. Let's just burn all of that. Burn. Burn. Shereen, what are you burning? Um, thanks, Jess. This is something, a story I've been following for a long time and pretty much forever. Um, as we know, the World Men's World Cup is slated to be 2022 in Qatar. Um... There was a report, and I really, really, really want to highlight the work done by Pete Patterson, Niamh McIntyre, Imran Mukhtar, Nikhil Apin, MD Wasim, um, Udwa Bhattarai, and Anya Piari. This was a combined team from South Asia that worked also in conjunction with The Guardian. And this piece highlights how more than 6,500 migrant workers have died preparing for the World Cup in building stadiums, in, you know, trying to help with infrastructure, 6,500 that like from India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka, and they've died in Qatar working in indentured servitude. And this is over the last 10 years. And the results and the data is from governments and also from migrant worker rights groups that are documenting this. And there are people on the ground, thankfully, that are taking in this information and compiling it because it needs to be documented. And I just, we're still, we're still a year away 
from the World Cup and what happens. And it's almost like these lives aren't valued. This sport and this event is being valued over the lives of people. And I would actually say in reading this this article that we'll put in the show notes as well, is that that toll, that number is actually higher. These are only the deaths that have, have been recorded. And there's then again, if there's abuse and, and, and death at the hands of people that are in charge, construction companies or people that bring over the laborers, they don't report those deaths. And, you know, the, the laborers live in squalor camps. And they work really hard to try to send money back home and their passports are taken, their identification is they don't have freedom of mobility, particularly in a place like Qatar that is very strict with, you know, like traveling in and out and that kind of thing. And I just, I find this so, this is the reason that I struggle with this sport. This is the base reason why I hate the World Cup so much is because we enjoy it in the moment. We enjoy the thrill. We enjoy the matches. But this is this place is literally, literally being constructed on the life and the back and the blood of these people. And I want to take that and I want to burn it all down. Burn. Burn. Lens, what are you setting aflame this week? Yeah, so I want to give a, a trigger warning for um, sex abuse and um, suicide. Uh, just skip ahead a couple minutes um, if you want to go um, skip this one. But on Thursday morning, John Geddert was charged with 24 criminal charges. Um, John Geddert, for those um, who need a refresher, was a coach on the U.S. gymnastics team. Um, at the Olympics, and the founder of the TriStars USA Gymnastics Club in Michigan. Um, Geddert was one of the chief enablers of Larry Nasser. He had known Nasser since 1984. Um, and at TriStars, um, Nasser regularly treated and abused um, young female athletes in his back office. The 24 charges against Getter, though, Believe it or not, 23 of them had nothing to do with Nasser. The only charge that had anything to do with Nasser was lying to the police. 23 of these counts were for Geddert's crimes and Geddert's crimes alone, including 20 counts of human trafficking. These forced labor and excessive training resulted in injury to 19 athletes, all of whom were minors. There were also two counts of sexual abuse against Geddert himself, one first degree and one second degree. Geddert's abuse and enabling has been long known in the gymnastics community. And three years after Nasser um, was brought to justice, it seemed that Geddert's victims were close to justice as well. But on Thursday morning, shortly after the charges were announced, uh, Geddert died by suicide. This is burn worthy for so many reasons first of all that any of this abuse happened second of all that it took so long for there to be um any real movement on his case and of course the fact that he was allowed to turn himself in he was allowed the space to um make his own decision at the end of his life um and take the real opportunity for justice away from the women he abused. Um, I want to quote two people close to the case. Um, first of all is Angie um, Povolitis, who was the lead prosecutor on the Nasser case. She tweeted, a lot of folks might not realize how heavy and hard today's news of John Geddert's suicide is on both the victims and former gymnast. 
speaking to them directly. He made his decisions and choices, all of them. And none of the weight of his choices or burdens should be yours to bear. Um, I also want to quote Lindsay Lemke, who is now married, and Lin- her name is Lindsay Hull now. She's a, been on Burn It All Down before to talk about the abuse by both Nasser and Getter. And she told ESPN, we can assume this stems from Getter being guilty and knowing he was guilty. But the hardest part about this is that we'll never know. The amount of work that the AG's office has had to put in for over the past three years to finally get to this day, all for nothing. The case is considered done, but we'll never have an actual ending. Getter's last act was to take more away from the women he had already spent his life abusing. And um, I'm mad at him, and I'm mad that we often give these criminals who are white so much more space And I don't think that he should have been allowed to turn himself in. I think that he should have been handcuffed and taken straight to jail as the charges were announced. Um, And uh, I just am uh, sending love to all survivors out there. This is infuriating. And um, I know a burn pile seems trivial in a moment moment like this. um, And yet I can't think of any better use for it. So burn. 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 Now to highlight people carrying the torch and changing sports culture. Shireen, who are the yes, finally, more please of this week? Shout out to Sportsnet in Canada for being the first major network in Canada to air women's hockey. The PWHP's Dream Gap Tour has commenced and it will be televised. It is being televised, so find it on Sportsnet. Lindsay, who is our barrier breaker of the week? This is... Team Kenya for making the finals of the AfroBasket tournament, and especially to their coach, the Australian Liz Mills, who is the first woman to ever lead a men's team in a major continental tournament. Um, so that's absolutely thrilling. Go, Liz, and we'll be cheering on Team Kenya. This week's moneymakers are the Black Women's Player Collective, which kicked off its first fundraiser. According to their GoFundMe page, all the money they raise will go towards, quote, hosting free soccer clinics at our mini pitches across the country, presenting opportunities for kids to attend NWSL games throughout the upcoming season, and producing media that shares insights of Black women and their experiences in both sport and business. Go get your money. This is great stuff. Can I get a drum roll, please? Lindsay, who is our torchbearer of the week? I haven't been this excited to announce a torchbearer of the week in a long time. Renee Montgomery. Uh, She is one of the three new owners of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream. Kelly Leffler is out of here and out 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 and renee montgomery is not only a co-owner but she's going to be the new vice president and she's the first former WNBA player to become both a part owner and executive of a WNBA team um this is history making (laughs) in so many ways but look we talk about ownership on this show a lot we've had a lot of detailed conversations about what we want to see as far as uh the next steps in ownership and i can't (laughs) this is it hello this is it congratulations to the dream congratulations to the WNBA, and congratulations to uh to renee for um as she said 
cheesy as it sounds, making her capital D dream come true. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, love her. Okay, what's good with y'all? I am looking at Shireen right now, and she has a lot of <laughs> stickers on her face. What's happening over where you are, Shree? What's what is good with you? I waited. Um, no, I just really like stickers, and they're right here on your face, on my face. And I'm like, why not? I just am happy in Renee, and I wanted to glitter and shine. Um, good for me is good food. I'm using these meal kits, and the reason of I've handed over. You're so consistent on this point, Shree. It's just it's just so good. <laughs> What's good? Good food. Good food. Hear me, uh, good food, and make me. Uh, what are those people called that you give them free stuff and they talk about how good you are? Influencers, whatever. So, good food, please send me food kits because I've handed off food prep, meal prep for my kids a couple times a week because I'm in class and they love it. And it's really good food and easy, and they're step by step and it gives them a lot of confidence in the kitchen. So, I love that. And then I can just dip and do what I need to do. Um, so, there's that. I also have baby twin nieces. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say that publicly, but I am because I'm very excited and I'm not allowed to meet them yet. Obviously, I need to be vaccinated and they need to be a lot older. And I love them very, very, very much. They're the two newest feminists to join the world. And I'm very excited. And what else? I'm going skiing tomorrow. I was reluctant and whether I should talk about snow, given what's happening. Sounds cold. Um, I'm so excited. I haven't been out to the slopes yet. Uh, I'm very excited because I love snow and I love skiing and I'm and I'm really cute on the hill. But my niece, Yasmin, who was a ski instructor, we're all going to Blue Mountain, which is about two hours north of Toronto. She's making me wear a helmet and I don't wear a helmet when I ski. That's but she's good, like, though. Good for your niece. And she was like, no, you have to wear a helmet. And I was like, nobody wears a helmet. And she's like, no, you will. I'm like... But then she explained that if I don't wear Someone a helmet. Someone has mothered Shireen. I got mothered. My niece mothered me. And I love Yasmin. She was really, what's the word, practical? And I was so annoyed. And she goes, you have to wear a helmet. I'm like, but I want to look really cute. She's like, you can do good eye makeup and you can look cute. And I was like, but what, a helmet? I can't look cute in a helmet. She's like, yes, you can. Because if you don't, you look like Beetlejuice. Because like you're bulky wear and I don't want to look like Beetlejuice. So I will be wearing a helmet. This is That's good news. I, I'm with Yasmin on this, so that makes me feel good that Shreem will be wearing a helmet. Lindsay, what is good with you? I assume you're not going skiing tomorrow. I definitely, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> 100% no. Um, what's good is that a lot of people in my life are vaccinated right now, and I feel very lucky. So um, there's actually like there's a family lunch today and for my aunt's birthday. And I was like, wait, this is really dangerous. What's happening? And I realized I'm the only one in the group not vaccinated. Wow. Good. Wow. Well, not that you're not vaccinated. But yeah. Yeah. But most of them are above, um, you know, 65. So they've already gotten theirs. And then the my cousin is a healthcare worker. So she's gotten hers, too. So it's kind of, I was kind of like, oh, this is um yeah okay this is cool <laughs> like this is good it's gonna be a long time I think before I get vaccinated uh, North Carolina is actually going pretty slow um but it's it's exciting to see and to feel progress and that's kind of you know that's kind of keep me going you know um I've been reading a few things lately that have been you know, pointing out that it's very easy to want to point to the worst case scenario and want to, you know, shame people and want to fret forever. And I think a lot of us, I know I have, have kind of 
clung to that almost as a coping mechanism through all this because we're so mad at the people not taking things seriously who got us to this point. Um, but the truth is like, it's okay to feel that things are getting better and it's okay to find ways to make yourself happy and to be around loved ones, you know, and, um, uh, right now. And, um, so that is kind of keeping me going. Yeah. That's lovely. I think our own Amira has gotten her second shot and that whenever I think about that, that makes me so thrilled. Um, so my what's good is related to Amira because for, Many weeks now, she has been pressuring me to watch WandaVision, Yay! which is the new Marvel Cinematic Universe show on Disney+. Plus. And I was always going to watch it, but she really, after this latest episode, was really like, you've got to do this. And so actually after episode seven, we're now on episode eight. And so finally, Aaron and I did it. We binged in two days, the eight episodes of WandaVision that are up so far. And it is so good. It is so smart. It is so devastating. I will say it's about grief and trauma and Wanda dealing with death. And I don't know. I don't want to say she's not dealing with it well because, <laughs> like, grief is its own mess for everybody. But she's just a super powerful person. who <laughs> So her dealing with grief has huge consequences in ways that it doesn't for other people. But I just think the show is beautiful. It reminds me of why I love the first season of Jessica Jones, like this deep dive on a superhero and like what it is actually like to live as one of those people in the world when you deal with actual issues. It's really great. So um, kudos to Amira for putting that pressure on me. And then the other thing this week that made me so happy, if you follow me on Instagram, then you know all about this, is that I made a glazed orange bunt cake in one of my new bunt pans that my parents got me. And it's the most beautiful bunt pan. It's kind of the swirl looking thing. And the cake came out beautifully. I had to zest a bunch of oranges and then juice them by hand in order to make it. But the, it tastes amazing. It looks so beautiful it's almost gone now but um i took a million pictures like this thing as if i was taking his yearbook photo or something took a million photos of this thing it was beautiful it tasted good it made me so happy i have questions about wandavision i've been reluctant because i don't know if i have the capacity to deal with like sad stuff it's it episode eight wrecked me oh jess you're i it did oh my god i'm not gonna lie my my kids are watching it and mustafa and i are hanging out alone for a couple days my youngest and we ended up watching frozen 2 together which was lovely oh which is so good yeah i think um we'll see how it ends i'm not sure how i'm gonna feel when it's all over so maybe just wait until the whole thing is aired and i can tell you whether or not you feel bad or good at the end okay, of let's this. do that um because after episode eight i just like it ended and i was crying so hard okay no so just so. why don't you let me know give me a yay or nay yeah i will but it is so good and and lastly, before I like finish my what's good, I just want to shout out all the amazing curlers in Canada. The Scotty Tournaments of Hearts wrapped up. We're recording Sunday morning, so we don't know who the champs are yet. But this is a really big deal. Curling Day in Canada was yesterday, and I'm really heartened by it. Because curling, I love curling. It's really, really fun. I didn't get to watch as much. I will watch today, though, and definitely will watch the championship. But I just want to say curling is a lot of fun. Do I want to see it more diversified? Yes, absolutely. Um, I did have a quick conversation with Claire Hanna, who has been on the show before to talk about curling. It's, there's a lot of goodness in this in this curling. It's like a kind of an underrated sport, but really, it's like legit. So, yay, Scotties. Okay, so this week, what we are watching, 
Athletes Unlimited Volleyball season has started. It's airing on the CBS Sports Network and FS1, so check listings for times. The PWHPA Dream Gap Tour has also started, as Shereen mentioned. Their Chicago matches are this upcoming weekend. You can watch Saturday's match on the NBC Sports Network. And for Canadians, Sunday's match will air on CBC Sports. That's it for this episode of Burn It All Down. On behalf of all of us here, burn on and not out. Our producer is Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon does our website, episode transcripts, and social media. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn, all of the places. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. From there, you can email us directly or go shopping for our merchandise. As always, an evergreen thank you to our patrons for your support. It means the world. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burnitalldown.